0: so it's an interesting point in the retreat Uh, when I think of where we are in our retreat we're in the heart of the retreat We've, we've all been here long enough to settle in and to kind of land here in a very real way and we're not leaving yet we're here and it's a beautiful time of practice because um, even though practice doesn't, is not static, right? it's not just a line. It, it's, here's how I understand practice. If you want to look, you can look. But if not, I'm waving my hand up and down. Because <laughs> that's, that's my experience of practice. It changes. It goes up and down. And some of the up is good, and some of the up is bad, and some of the down is good, and some of the down is bad. Whatever it is, it, it moves. It's not fixed. And, um, but there's something quite lovely about landing in the fullness of this reality that we're sitting in together that we're practicing in together and that we're we're nurturing in an ongoing way with the heartfeltness of our practice. And Pam was pointing at that at the end of her talk last night when she was talking about generosity. And I was reflecting on that and I was thinking about the giving and the generosity, and I, and I think, oh yeah, when I think of this point in the retreat, this is the time, totally give oneself to the practice. Totally give oneself to what we're doing here. To each sitting, each walking, each, each moment, really. And it's a combination of wholeheartedness and discipline. And discipline is a word that sometimes we don't like so much because we think it means we're being disciplined. But discipline, the word, the root of the word, is the same as disciple. Discipline and disciple come from the same root, and what they're pointing at is about learning. That, especially in the uh, in different cultures, in that becoming a disciple was how you learned a craft or an art or spiritual understanding you became a disciple of a teacher and and it asks for be uh, bringing discipline it becomes a discipline in the sense of it's a learning that one engages in fully and even the i looked up the latin root of discipline and it means learner or um, uh, yeah it means to learn and then the and then I even looked up how do they how is it talked about in the dictionary now and they say um, uh, discipline is a one of the definitions a branch of knowledge um, and a disciple is a follower or student of a teacher a leader or a philosopher and so This giving ourselves to the Dharma is a discipline. And it means we're disciplined by doing the practice, paying attention, being aware right now, right? 24-7, we're giving ourselves to this practice of being aware and awake to what's happening in your body, heart, mind, and in the room, and what I'm saying, right now and the awareness starts to seep into all parts of our experience so it's not just oh we're meditating when we're sitting being quiet that's part of the practice and part of the discipline as is you know coming to the sittings on time and doing one's best to be respectful of One's own practice and the practice that we're doing here together. Because it's a collective practice that we're doing together. <clears throat> and one of the questions that I think a number, number of people here have raised is, okay, what, what are we doing here? You know, what, what is this? What are we doing in this retreat. And we're, you know, we spent some time with the body and then opening it up to the mind and the various uh, domains of human experience, which happened quite naturally, right? Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, thinking, feeling, right? That whole basic template of experiencing... That happens when you have a body, a heart and a mind. <clears throat> and there are some orientations in Buddhist practice that were encouraging, and one of the orientations is under, beginning to understand reality, to being, beginning to understand the truth. And dharma is commonly translated as truth. So understanding the dharma means to understand the truth or sometimes talked about as the truth of the way things are, which is, is a multi-leveled understanding because it includes the ordinary truth, you know, of, oh, it's raining today, right? That's, true sometimes, or it's cold. And then other levels of truth, which may be more hidden or unconscious or subtle or mysterious, that we start to discover because we're landing in this through line of truth, of here and now, the way things are. In this experience, sitting here, and sitting here in uh, a multiplicity of beings, and one of the, and one of the uh, understandings, the ways that understanding is understood. That's a very Zen thing to say. The way that understanding is understood is as uh, another way we could talk about understanding that uh, Sayadaw Utashiniya uses is wisdom. That we're here to wake up. We're seeking wisdom the wisdom that's available to human beings that Buddha and other beings have discovered over the last 2,600 years using this practice, these practices and this teaching to investigate human reality. And from both the obvious and familiar and conventional human reality all the way to the unfamiliar, and the unconventional, and the mysterious, or mystical, or sacred. We, I could use many different words to point to the different potential that is possible as we study this ordinariness of who and what we are. Meaning the humanness its just sitting right here, breathing, thinking, feeling, having a good time, having a bad time, having, you know, an in-between time. And so Uteshaniya points to this a little bit, and he says, as your practice develops, the mind will develop a sense of curiosity, which we've talked about a little, often in Buddhism is talked about uh, as interest, but I think curiosity is such a beautiful Word and I think we all know when we have a sense of curiosity that there's, a, there's an energetic interest in something. Oh, we're curious. It's like our whole being starts to get really interested in something. And so he said, as your practice develops, the mind will develop a sense of curiosity, a natural tendency to investigate. Curiosity is an expression of wisdom. I I like that. That makes me happy, really. It does because cause it's such a natural part of who and what we are. Like if you remember, it wasn't too long ago we were all children, and curiosity is just so there in children. It's so not. It's not. Uh, <laughs> the word that comes, it's not civilized out of them at all. <laughs> they're just who they are and they're curious about it and it crosses every it, it crosses every division of whatever the division might be of nations or states or politics or or uh, religions or race differences or gender differences or what, whatever the uniqueness of people are and, and there are many beautiful uniquenesses that we want to be aware of, but also there's this curiosity that just lives in human beings naturally as far as I can tell. And 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 Utejaniya is pointing at the curiosity when it arises in right here in practice as part of wisdom. And so I was reading a little about Sairah Utejaniya and I've practiced with him and uh, getting that for him understanding, understanding equals wisdom. Understanding equals wisdom. And that's, I'm very appreciative of that because it's not just a mystical Something is wisdom or something way out there that who knows what, what it really is. But it's, it has a very down-to-earth component of beginning to understand reality on the ordinary, everyday levels, on the functional levels, and on other levels of reality that are also sitting right here that are part of who and what we are. And so here's a little story about a practitioner who said, how will I know when wisdom arises to Saito Utajaniya? And he answers, he says, oh, you will see that very clearly. So I'm, this is, of course, for all of us to kind of listen. How will we, How will we know when wisdom arises? We'll, we'll see, we will see it very clearly. You will have an experience of, ah, now I understand. Right? Ah, now I understand. Or if I was saying a little more in Eugene language, oh, now I get it. You know, oh, wow. That, and I might add that in because I'm always impressed when I understand anything. Um, You know, you will have an experience of, ah, now I understand. This is real understanding, not just intellectual understanding. You won't have to ask anyone. You will know. And so there's a knowing that is very personal, even if the knowing is beyond the personal. I hope. That makes some sense and I hope to speak a little more to that, the personal and the beyond the personal. And so part of what I wanted to speak to tonight, and we will speak to also, is that there's a certain component of practice that is a surprise or is a discovery. And I believe that about life in general, that there is, part of life is a discovery, or a surprise, or a, or a wow, or a whoa, I didn't know this yet, because there's more to learn, there's more to discover, there's more to understand about who and what we are and what we're doing here together. And my friend Joseph Goldstein, he said, the wonderful paradox of the spiritual path, the wonderful paradox of the spiritual path is that all of the changing phenomena as objects of our awareness, that all of these changing phenomena as objects of our awareness and desire leave us feeling unfulfilled while as objects of mindfulness, they become the very vehicle of awakening. Like everything, that little bit what Pam was talking about, oh, we want things, we don't want things, give me, no, yes, this is good, this is not. You know, when we're, when we're caught in that level of ourselves, which happens, we all have that level, it's dukkha. But at a certain point, when we start to be aware of the wanting, the not wanting, and the seeing of the different experiences and objects that stimulate it, we're not bound to it. And it becomes, as he says, the very vehicle of awakening. And this is part of the paradox of practice that I want to hopefully we can keep looking at because it becomes an important part of practice meaning paradox is an important part of dharma and waking up. And and one component of paradox that I very much appreciate I actually couldn't figure out how, how I wanted to give a talk about what I'm going to say, or I wanted to give a talk about paradox, and then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll merge the two a little, and we'll see what comes out. So part of, what ha- what part of the paradox that we're living is that there's a lot we know, right? It's an amazingly beautiful thing about human beings is we have a lot of knowledge We've learned a lot, and we're still learning as a species. We're still learning a lot and learning more and more about lots of different components of physical reality and psychological reality and spiritual reality and conventional reality and even politics and how to live together and things. But, but there's a lot we don't know also. And they're both important. Both the knowing and the not knowing. And I I always like to say this when I teach about not knowing at all, because one of my favorite political books is called Freedom from the Known by Krishnamurti, who was a spiritual teacher in the last century. Freedom from the Known. And it was such a great title that I didn't need to read the book. Because he nailed it in the title, you know. And I didn't want to know what he had to say about it. But, but he got it. And he, and he knew a lot. He was quite a wise being. So here's a story, not Eastern but Western, about Socrates who used to walk through the streets and marketplaces of Athens teaching students, always saying to them, you must understand yourself. So Socrates, right, who's kind of famous guy, he would say, he would walk through the marketplace, through the streets, he would say, you must understand yourself, you must understand yourself, you must understand yourself. And one day a student said, sir, you always say that we must understand ourselves, but do you understand yourself? Great, great question, huh, to give to Socrates, and Socrates said, no, I don't know myself, Socrates replied, but I understand this don't know. Right? So he knew about both knowing and not knowing, and the value of both, and they're invaluable as far as I can tell, because there's so much beauty in the knowing and the learning and what we've discovered. Like, whenever I look at history at all and I just read how human beings thought you know, 50 years ago and then how much more knowledge is happening, like it keeps growing. Doesn't mean it's always wisdom, but but there is something about intelligence that is just fascinating, that we have intelligence and that it, it discovers and learns and creates, just amazing. And sometimes I have these weird reflections. <laughs> They're not so weird, but it's, I don't talk about them that much. But uh, you know, where, where I can look at something and oh, I can see that didn't used to be here. People didn't even think about whatever that was. And then, oh, and now it's here. And somebody thought of how to make floors. You know, and I take floors for granted all the time. I, you know, I like them. It's beautiful. But, and then I realized, well, wow, it's some, and, and, not, and maybe there have been floors for a long time, but floors like this with this kind of wood and this shape and this, you know, it's, it keeps, the intelligence keeps moving forward about reality. And it's quite magical in a certain way. That's the feeling when I see things. And I don't always see things in that way. Usually I just walk on the floor and <laughs> that's about it. But but sometimes the vision opens up and we see more than just the surface layer. And so the knowing is good and the not knowing, as... Krishnamurti said, the freedom from the known takes away the veil of what we know so that we might see also what we don't know. Because, again, personally sometimes, like I'd see something like this and maybe first I'll see the wood and the way it's done, and like, wow, people didn't always do it like this. And then, and then I realize, oh, there's actually people who did this. And then, so starting to feel or connect with the peopleness of the physical reality that's also here, even with the wood and the floor and the building and things like that. And one of the key pieces about the knowing or not knowing is we're not trying to find anything or you don't have to search for what you don't know. But something about staying present, aware, and relaxing, being open, allows the dharma to keep revealing more of reality, more of who and what we are, more of the truth or the dharma itself. And, and just I'll give a little example about for myself how sometimes knowing leads to not knowing. Like being, so uh, let's say I'm feeling angry and I'm pissed about something, and so I'm feeling the anger, and I'm aware, and I know what I'm pissed about, and I know how right I am that I'm pissed about what I'm pissed about and how wrong the other person is. and, and so, But I don't just go and stay with the content. The content's there. It's part of the experience. But there's also a somatic, kinesthetic experience that's happening with the content, and this is what we keep pointing at here is your your direct experience. And so then I start to feel, oh, the the tension, or not even gross tension, but slight tension and the energy of the anger that's here that I'm, you know, that's also part of the experience. And the feeling like, I, oh, I can't have that much anger. And then I and I noticed my, judging mind, which is telling me what I can and can't do, and I, I know how to let go of that. And then i let myself really feel the anger, which in, in Eugene language, I would say, oh, let it rip. Let the anger, let it get as big as it wants. And then I start to feel the totality of what I'm calling anger and then as the anger comes alive I feel the irritation and the upsetness and some things I don't even want to feel this much And I, and, but I'm not bound to the aversion to it at this point I'm just giving myself to the anger and the irritation and the upsetness and then I watch it start to calm on its own I'm not calming it I'm just being present and aware of it and, and sensitive to it, it's not intimate with it, another way to say it. In other words, I actually want to feel the energy, feel the anger, feel the aliveness of it because it's alive. And it's right here. And so I'm aware of that. I'm aware of, and, and then I watch it start to calm and then I I watch it start to shift, it, and it's all doing it on its own. I'm not doing anything except being aware and staying very present, very intimate with what's here, body, heart, and mind. And then I start to feel some kind of sadness, and some kind of a different, the upsets, which is to some kind of sadness, and wishing that whatever had happened hadn't happened, and seeing that that's part of my anger, was, oh, I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want it to be like that. And then I feel a little what Pam was talking about last night is that kind of meltingness starts to happen with staying present moment by moment with the direct experience, somatically, kinesthetically, energetically, affectively, cognitively. It all becomes part of practice and the awareness of it. <clears throat> and so and and if you tell somebody that who's never done any practice, they're like, what what are you doing? you're just angry what <laughs> you know, and you go with it if you're angry or or you or you suppress it if you're angry is what some some of us do, and so we we wanna practice in this heart of the retreat flavor of discovering ourselves even though we already know a lot about ourselves. We don't want to let what we know limit what we don't know. And I looked up the word paradox in the Greek. It means unbelievable. I didn't know that. Literally beyond belief. That's what a paradox is. And cause one of my teachers, Hamid Ali, he said once, he said, oh, paradox means the mind doesn't get it. And and then I just read this. I thought, oh, that's interesting. in correlation, right? It's beyond what we believe. A paradox. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of Dharma paradox that's part of practice. And here I'll read you a quote that I, think and given that we've been looking at the mind heart mind might be a better way to say it but the mind this is from Ryo Kan who's one of the great teachers in my life in Buddhism who was a monastic in Japan probably 1750 and a poet and an artist and so his, his dharma is poetry it's He's just, he's beautiful he's a beautiful being and quite awake. And he wrote this, he said, the Buddha, Buddha is your mind. Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. How's that for a teaching? The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this, he says. The Buddha is your mind, and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you arrive? I just feel like I should stop there. That's a good teaching. (laughs) And it's beautiful that he's pointing at the totality of practice in this simple couple sentences. The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look, don't look, where is it? (laughs) Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you arrive? So he's pointing us, he's giving us a pointer at where to pay attention where the whole Dharma is. It's right in your seat. The whole teaching is right in your seat. And here's a a different version. It's a Western version from Martin Heidegger, secret Buddhist. Um, Heidegger said, a person is neither a thing nor a process. A person is neither a thing nor a process, but an opening or a clearing through which the Absolute can manifest. A person is neither a thing nor a process, but an opening or a clearing through which the Absolute, or I might use the word truth, can manifest. And so he's pointing to something about us that is sitting in each seat here. That we are the a window to reality, to the depth of reality, to the truth of reality, to the potential of reality. And that's known in both the West and the East. And one more paradox from T.S. Eliot. He said, teach us to care. Teach us to care and teach us not to care. Now that's also a beautiful Dharma teaching. Teach us to care and teach us not to care. There's paradox. It's not one or the other, it's both. And that's what's not so easy for us at times. I know for myself, oh, I want it to be this way or that way. I don't want it to be both ways. Even though both ways are true. And that's what the Dharma keeps pointing at. The paradox paradox of the truth of the way things are. <clears throat> and teach us to care, not to care. It's a beautiful understanding of compassion. Uh, you know, which... Is the Buddha points at this is an essential component of the Dharma, is kindness, care, compassion, the recognition of suffering, and the kindness that arises with that. And the Buddha also pointed at other levels of reality where one can experience the kindness and the care and the compassion, and other levels of reality that are not bound to anything. He pointed at freedom that was not conditioned. <clears throat> so another way I could talk about this, this especially the paradox of compassion and beyond compassion, right, teach us to care and not to care, is it's pointing at the teaching in the Buddha, in the Buddha's, the teachings in the Buddha's teaching about the paradox of self and not self, which is often one of the most confusing teachings for many of us, including me at times, that there's, there's actually a lot of teaching about the self in Buddhism, and there's also a lot of teaching about not-self. And at least technically my understanding is, he never used the term no-self. He said there was self and there was not-self, and both are to be understood And the self piece is very important to understand. There's a lot of positivity about how to work with self in Buddhism. Positivity meaning um, uh, a lot of skillful means about working with self and developing a healthy, stable sense of self, and, which includes the precepts, which take care of self and others, and also the um, the Brahma Viharas, which is about how to let the heart be free and express itself, and how to um, be skillful in one's life and actions as as a self in the world with self and others, <clears throat> and then the meditative practice to study the self. One of my favorite teachings by Zen Master Dogen is to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self Excuse me To study the Buddha way is to study the self to study the self is to forget the self or in my lang- my translation would be to let go of the self and to let go of the self to forget the self is to become intimate with all things to become intimate with all things and the, and part of the art of practice is seeing that, yes, we want to we wanna acknowledge the self. We want to see the self, who and what we are, and the uniqueness of each self sitting here and the different qualities of uniqueness that are here based on our history, and our past, and where we're from, and our culture, and our the religions of origin, and our families, and our race, and our political influences, and time and place. Because even, even the different ages of people create slightly different uniquenesses in who people are. Because they've lived in different worlds. If you're 80, or if you're 15, Those are different worlds to live in and be shaped by. And we want to be very respectful of human difference and the self at the same time that we're not afraid to examine not-self reality also and see that aliveness that's here that the Buddha pointed at as... uh, a not-self, a not, self, uh, not uh. Because both are true. And it's one of the, my favorite parts, things that I learned in Zen about what are called the two truths in Buddhism is that they're equally true. It's not one over the other. They're It's true and it's, it's, It it allows for reality to be even wilder than we think it is, in my opinion. Here's a a Zen teacher being asked about what's the secret of Zen, and he pointed to a grove of bamboo saying, see how long these are? See how short these are? It's the beauty of reality starting to reveal itself to us as our eyes relax and open, as our hearts and minds start to get here in a real way. So the self, not self, meaning we're here and we're not here, both. Both are true. And part of the paradox of practice for myself is that there's more to discover, more to realize, more to become real. And in my translation of realization, really what I understand realization, which sometimes they use the word enlightenment, I don't use that so much anymore. I like realization. It's, it's a... A maturity of our humanness it's the maturing of us as human beings, and we we all have a certain level of maturity here you wouldn't you wouldn't be here if you didn't you you know that's you know when we're if you were three or five, you wouldn't have the maturity to get here and afford it and all that <laughs> stuff, right? You know, what, whatever it is. And, and it takes a while to build a certain level of human maturity and realize, oh, we're actually all here together and we're creating this world together and we're responsible together. That's, and then there's other levels of maturity that the Buddha discovered that he's also pointing at and saying, yes, and this too is possible for us as human beings, to mature, so that's how I think of realization. It's just another level of maturity, of what's possible, of human potential, of human development. And so the matured, part of the maturity of practice is both the self and not-self, or the self and the commonality that we share as part of living reality. Because most of us, and I have to acknowledge this for myself, mostly I'm just lost in my world. And I think that's reality. And it is. And there's more to my world than just what's sitting here. This is also our world, my world, whatever, I could use either word, my or our. This is the world, and we're here, not alone. <clears throat> and so part of we, what we see in as human maturity happens in people is they recognize that in deeper and deeper ways. And here's Martin Luther King said it this way, He said, we are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied together in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We live together because of the interrelated structure of reality. That's in my opinion, really good Dharma teaching about another level of reality and the truth of the way things are. And we're here together in that way. And to start to know that, not just intellectually, but experientially, is part of the maturing that we are cultivating together. Because at least speaking for myself, I'm not done maturing. I'm still learning how to grow up in U, more mortal Eugene language. So one of the things we point at here in practice, and meaning point at are suggesting, oh, just Explore your experience. Be present. Stay very present with what's happening for you, with your thoughts, your feelings. Be aware of it. Be intimate with it, meaning don't be far away from it. Right here, let it be known. And and then watch what happens as you know it without being bound to it, even though you're right in the middle of it. So there's another paradox I'm throwing in, right? It's the knowing of it, not separate from it, but actually right in the middle of it and not being bound to it even though we're right in the middle of it. And awareness is one of the components of reality that is quite fascinating when we talk about self and not self. Because it starts to give us an understanding of what's being pointed at in the not-self teaching. <clears throat> Does everybody get that awareness is not something you're doing, right? Everybody got that or not? And be honest. Anybody, what do you think? Are you doing the awareness? Well, here, here. here I'll, uh, maybe that's not a fair question because you're, you're all being silent too much, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> no, no, here's, here I'll ask you a different question. Or no, I'll make a, a suggestion so that it's experiential because, as I've been saying, the experiential is that's where the Dharma is. Stop being aware right now. No, I'm serious now. <laughs> stop being aware no stop it <laughs> <laughs> I, and, I, and it's just I like that teaching because at least can anybody stop being aware right you could just raise your hand if you could I'd, I'd love to know but I haven't seen it and I'm not I can't stop being aware I I can be aware of different things and that's where a little of my will will might come in or my <laughs> doing something might come in but I'm still always aware of something while I'm sitting here now and we don't we're not going to the sleeping time that's a different question but at least right now let's just because many people have no problem being aware when they're sleeping also but that's different but so the not being able to stop being aware points to the not-self component of reality. We're not in control of it. It's not us doing it. It's happening all, all on its own. And I think you were talking about the fish, right? You know, And we don't even think about it 99.9% of the time. And yet it's happening all the time. So it's part, I think of it as part of pointing us at the not-self reality that's right here. And is actually a normal part of human reality. In addition to the I, me, and Mind part of reality, which is also a normal part of human reality. But it's not the end of the story what Eugene thinks, feels, all very important, good to know, but it's not the end of the story. I love what the... You know, I don't even know where to categorize him. John Cage, he was a musician and a beatnik? I'm not sure exactly. Something like that. And he, and very creative. He said... And he practiced Buddhism for quite a while, uh, Japanese Zen. He said, um, I am trying to be unfamiliar with what I am doing. I am trying to be unfamiliar with what I am doing. Beautiful understanding of, of ways to practice in, in normal reality. And so there's a lot of paradox in the dharma. I realize I don't have a clock here, so I could, you know, I'm a, oh yeah, I'm, I'm okay. So yeah, we're in good shape time-wise. So the paradox of practice was also um, summed up quite beautifully by Suzuki Roshi. He said, when you try to understand everything, you will not understand anything. When you try to understand everything, you will not understand anything. The best way is to understand yourself, and then you will understand everything. So that's quite a beautiful teaching, in my opinion, my view. Right? When you try to understand everything, you will not understand anything. The best way is to understand yourself, and then you will understand everything. And it's, it's it really, I find it touching, beautiful, because he's pointing at the ordinariness of who and what we are as the doorway to the extraordinariness of all of reality. It's all right here. It's, it, it, it can't not be here, and that's hard to believe, right? That's why it's paradoxical. It's beyond belief, often, that it's right here. I mean, at least I, for myself, I just never thought one could really wake up. I thought, oh, I love the statues. I thought those were, they were great, like and believe me, I have a lot of Buddhist statues. But I thought, you know, the statues, you know, that's what it is, or the place. you know it's, the, it's in a monastery or it's some, somewhere. It's not here. But it keeps being pointed at over and over again. To understand the totality of reality, understand yourself because it's right here, what's possible. And, and, I, and I say that very respectfully. It's not about becoming uh, infatuated with awakening. It's about coming down to earth with awakening. It's about getting real with awakening. It's about realizing, oh, this, where you're sitting, is where awakening happens. And most of us, at least, and I didn't, and you know, sometimes I still don't believe that's true. But I've had enough taste to see, oh, that's true. That's really true. I'm not, I'm not. plenty more practice to do. I'm not claiming anything or, but still, reality, and this is, in Eugene's words, is totally wild, and it's right here it's the whole deal is right here and it's paradoxically very simple that that's again it's just it, it sometimes i'm hesitant to say that because it's almost confusing but it it has this paradoxical nature it's so simple that's what's hard for us because it's all just right here already and Whether we believe it or not, we keep looking for more than what's right here. And so there's a very... Here, I can give you two different quotes because they're good quotes. And as you can see, I like quotes. So I threw them into my talks. Um, St. Francis of Assisi said, he said, What you are looking for, what you are looking for, is what is looking What you are looking for is what is looking. So just feel or sense or be aware of what is looking right now. I could say it different, I could say who is looking, but what is looking is even better. How does that happen, that looking, and I don't mean just with the eyes, I mean with the heart and mind and body and senses and brain and everything. What is looking? What you are looking for is what is looking. It's already here. And it takes relaxing in a very profound way to let that keep revealing itself to us. And it doesn't just reveal itself once and then you're done. That's a very American way to think about it, in my view. It's it reveals its its revelatory. Pam was using that term. She had one way of saying, I, I always say this, I say, reality reveals reality. Reality, and I'm saying, you we are reality. Reality's not somewhere else. This is reality, I'm pointing at reality, I'm, I am reality. Reality reveals reality. And here's a simpler paradox from the Buddha who could, who could say things. He was teaching somebody named Bahia, who I have a lot of affection for. Bahia was, you know, he's a figure in, in the suttas. And he's someone who uh, let's see. I have to remember the story. He he's practicing hard on his own. And one day he says to the gods, meaning he says it to himself. And out loud, excuse me, he says, "How am I doing?" Right? You ever you ever do that personally? You ever think, "How am I doing?" Well, Bahia was sitting there wherever he was. Actually, he was near the ocean. Um, and he he uh said, "How am I doing and in the story, the god's a God comes down and says, "Well, you know you're you're doing okay, but you're not following the right path. you're not doing the right practice and Bahia listens to his God, which is a good thing to do and uh and he said well what what should I do where, where is the right path and he said, and the God tells him there 's a, a Buddha about a hundred miles away, and he 's teaching the real thing you 're getting a little Eugene version here he 's <laughs> teaching the real thing and and so Bahia takes that to heart because he 's a heartfelt practitioner." And in kind of mythological time, meaning overnight, he gets himself whatever it is, the hundred miles to where the Buddha is. And he gets there about, you know, 12, not quite 12 o'clock the next day. And because he's a dedicated, he's devoted to the truth, Bahia. Bahia of the Bark Cloth is his full name, Behiya of the Bark Cloth. So you you get the kind of gear that he wears, you know, Behiya of the Bark Cloth. And he's there and and he asks around for the Buddha and somebody says, over there, and he goes to the Buddha and he says, "Um, you know, Honorable, Venerable, please teach me. And the Buddha is looking at his watch and he's seeing, oh, it's time for lunch. And you know, you, you have to get lunch when you're in a monastic. You have to get lunch by 12 o'clock. Otherwise, you can't eat that day, right? And so he says, well, I'm happy to teach you Bahia, but not now. And the Bahia, he's a, a fervent practitioner. He said, well, wait, wait, wait. And he asks again. And the Buddha said, no, sorry, I have to go for alms rounds, right? And Bahia, who's, who's sharp he he gets the buddha he says well excuse me venerable but we never know what's going to happen something could happen to you or come something that ha- could happen to me and please just could you give me a little teaching right now cuz we never know what's going to happen so he trumps the buddha with impermanence <laughs> which is that's i thought that was pretty cool And so the Buddha said, okay, here, I'll give you a brief teaching. And here's the teaching. He says, Bahia, you should train yourself thus. In the seen will be just the seen. In the heard will be just the heard. In the sensed will be just the sensed. In the cognized will be just the cognized. In this way, you should train yourself, Bahia. And when Bahia, in the scene is just the scene, in the herd, just the herd, in the sensed, just the sensed, in the cognized, just the cognized, then Bahia, you will not be with that. When Bahia, you are not with that, then Bahia, you will not be in that. When Bahia, you are not in that, then Bahia, you will be neither here nor there nor in between, just that is the end of suffering. You will not be here, not be there, not be in between, just that is the end of suffering. And the Buddha goes on um, alms rounds and gets his food and Bahia awakens. And so it's a very simple, very simple teaching about practicing with the most basic part of human aliveness. Sounds, taste, touch, feeling, thought, and being aware of the phenomena as it appears and disappears, which is happening moment by moment by moment as we sit here. So let's sit for a minute, and I'll end with a a last poem as we sit. And the sitting could be formal or informal, relaxed, not relaxed, and just be aware of whatever's here without having to create anything, without having to get rid of anything, without having to do anything. You'll already be aware of something. drew a song, the song of Zazen from Hakuin which relates a little to what Pamela was pointing at about the ice and the melting of the ice Hakuin said all beings by nature are Buddha all beings by nature are Buddha as ice by nature is water. Apart from water there is no ice. How sad people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more, those who turn about and bear witness to self nature, self nature that is no nature, go far beyond mere doctrine. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness! How boundless and free is the sky of awareness! How bright the full moon of wisdom! Truly, is anything missing right now? Nirvana is right here before our eyes, this very place, the Lotus Land, this very body, the Buddha. some time for a walking practice and it's a I'm a little late so would the bell ringer ring the bell at a